Welcome to the Nifty Podcast presented by Party Fish Media, a showcase of the best emerging filmmakers under the age of 25 from all over the world. Film starts here at Nifty 2022 in Seattle, Washington. All right. Uh, my name is Kaylee Quinones. I'm one of the programmers at Nifty, and I am here with Kelly Yu, the director of Plumtown. Plumtown um, screened at our opening night last night. And um, that was really special and amazing. And um, we're so excited the film festival has started. Super excited to talk to you, Kelly. Um, Kelly, can you kind of tell us, you know, where you're from and maybe a little bit of your background? And then we can kind of go into deep dive to this film. Totally. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, so I, my name is Kelly Yu. I'm a 20-year-old writer-director, originally from New Orleans, Louisiana, and uh, now based in LA. I moved here about three years ago uh, to study at the USC School of Cinematic Arts. So yeah, right now I'm just finishing up my last semester at USC and uh, trying to make as many films as possible. <laughs> That's Love that. That's so great. I'm so excited. I just love talking to young filmmakers and it's so exciting. You have so much in your future. So could you just tell us a little bit about Plumtown and kind of the premise um, and what the film means to you, I guess? Yeah. Totally. So Plumtown is a very personal story. It's kind of based off of my father and my grandfather's story that I learned about uh, after visiting China for the first time. Um, so my dad uh, is the youngest of five and grew up in the Chinese countryside and comes from generations of wheat farmers. And he's the youngest, who's the only one that could go to school and studied and you know made his way out of China into the U.S. and uh, basically gave me the life that I, I have now. Um, and because of that, I, I never really understood my family history. I didn't really know my relatives. I didn't really have a relationship with my grandfather. They were just kind of like people that I knew about who lived on the other side of the ocean. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then I, I visited first when I was 12. Um, and my dad, I think it was like character building. He's like, I'm going to stick you in the countryside with your grandfather and you're going to live there for two weeks. Uh, <laughs> and you know, you're going to actually, you know, connect with, uh, him and, you know, see what it was like for me, you know, growing up. And I was, I was 12 and I was kicking and screaming. I was like, I do not leave me here in the countryside for two weeks without yeah. Wi-Fi and electricity. And it was, it was, I, for like a young kid, it, it was, it was hard. Yes. Um, yeah, I totally my, relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. My takeaway from that was like, I was like observing my relatives waking up at 5 a.m. to go work in the fields. And that was such a, a new thing for me to witness. Cause it was like, oh, these people, like, my, they don't get up and go to work. They don't go to school. They just like, they go to the fields. And yeah. um, that's something I just kind of, it stayed with me when I went back to the US. And I, I didn't get to go back to China until the summer of 2019 after my high school graduation. And when I went back, I, the only common or the only conversation starter I had with my relatives were like, Oh, how's like farming going? And then my grandpa looks at me and he's like, Oh, we don't do that anymore. Like a few yeah. years ago, a, a Korean like factory or corporation came in and made us an offer on our land because what's happening now in China is uh, the government's trying to lift like the rural communities out of poverty. And so they're sending, uh, they're basically developing factories on land and then employing the farmers who used to work there to work in the factories. So yeah, they, my relatives sold their best land and now they all work in the factory. And um, yeah, it's, it's strange because my 
grandpa wasn't, he didn't seem sad or he didn't see it as like a loss of anything. He's like, no, it's great. Like we have a better quality of life. We have a steady income. Um, but then I, I left home and I just thought about, you know, the impact of that and what it meant for, you know, our family history and our heritage. And, um, yeah, so I was just kind of like thinking about my dad's perspective too, as someone who had left home, you know, and, um, my dad and I don't, I think it's like an Asian culture thing. We don't really talk about feelings. Um, yeah, Plum Time is is my way of just putting myself in my dad's shoes, putting myself in my grandfather's shoes. Um, and that conversation that maybe never happened between them, but it's like, you know, what if they had never sold the land and what if, you know, my, my father, you know, saw it as a, a loss of anything. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Like all of those, you know, you telling that story just makes me so emotional, of course, because it's, it's the real story that this is based on essentially, but obviously, Mm -hmm. but then there's the, the way you changed it, but like, just, just how that's one of my favorite things about this film is like the commentary on old versus new and like tradition versus this new age where we have all this content content and Mm-hmm. everything is so much easier in concept in so many ways, but we, we lose a lot of these other um, really interpersonal and um, special real life things that we kind of miss, miss out on by, mm-hmm. by transitioning in this new age. Um, so I just, I really appreciate you sharing that story. I, I love that. I mean, I think it's crazy. I mean, also it's kind of comforting to know that your grandpa was okay with it, right? Like it's comforting to know that your grandpa was kind of like, okay, I actually am happier this way. And that it doesn't always have to be a sad story. Um, I think one thing I kind of want to segue into because um, on the note, if you did a really good job of creating um, your, well, essentially your father and your grandpa's fake, <laughs> fake relationship where <laughs> he goes to China and he actually meets his father on his farm. Um, and one of my favorite um, scenes and kind of motifs throughout this film is the karaoke scenes. Um, <laughs> just the way they're shot. I mean, they're beautiful. The like the lighting is gorgeous. There's this like really strong imagery and tone to them. Um, definitely the most memorable part of the film for me. Um, I'm just kind of curious, like a few different things. Like I have so many questions about this, but like, you know, conceptually, like conceptually, how did you get the karaoke? Was that something real for you? And then also the visual inspirations, I guess, something about the conceptual and visual inspirations. Yes. Karaoke is such a big part of Chinese culture. Um, It's like no matter the age, uh, no matter what generation you're from, everyone gets together at like a restaurant and then karaoke is somehow always involved. Um, and especially Mm -hmm. for me too, like I came from a music background and music was always, uh, you know, another outlet for emotions that aren't necessarily said or expressed. So from the very beginning, I always knew that I wanted there to be a karaoke scene. Um, and yeah, I took a lot of inspiration from previous films, uh, just because, you know, if there's a Chinese film, uh, there's probably going to be karaoke in it. Um, mm-hmm. And so a really good director friend of mine, Johnson Chung, uh, he t- did a short a few years ago uh, that was also, it was a mother-daughter relationship. Uh, and they were also a film about like their inability to connect with each other, um, but they do so through karaoke. And so that was a really big visual inspiration and um, I also want to shout out my amazing cinematographer, Phillips, uh, who mm-hmm. 
kind of designed the look of everything because we obviously we bought a disco light um and that was a lot of the the colors that you see but obviously like we could only place the disco lights in certain places and he also wanted there to be he calls it the party scene uh he also wanted the the colors and the light to be coming from you know multiple directions and so he Mm -hmm. rigged um i don't know like these uh cinematography terms uh very correctly but i think he had honey crates um and designed like supplementary lighting uh, to go along with the disco light and he comes from a music video background so it was it was very valuable to have him there but um yeah everyone was just drawing upon their own experiences of doing karaoke especially in china whenever i'm in china i i do karaoke and you know i've seen the sun set and rise from a karaoke booth because <laughs> wow. you just are in there and then just hours pass by and it's like this also like fantasy dream world you know it doesn't feel quite real um so so yeah very cool yeah it it really like phillips i'm glad you shouted him out i mean this is like a very strong cinematographer you know the cinematographer had a very strong voice in this and i could feel that Mm -hmm. for sure um on another note of more of your crew um one thing i really noticed um i'm a video editor that's my profession um so like i really noticed like the way you were strong cutting out of your scenes. Like I really liked the way the scenes kind of were, you would just kind of jump into the next scene and it felt really natural though. Like the way it was edited, I thought was really unique and stylistic. So I was just kind of curious, like what was that workflow like working with your editor and kind of deciding what the editing style of this film was going to be like? Yeah, totally. Um, my editor, uh, his name is Steven and he is so amazing. I think it was really fate that brought us together because he cold emailed me after seeing our Kickstarter page and he was like, Hey, I'm an editor. I'm also from new Orleans. I saw that, you know, you on your bio said you were, I was wondering if you were looking for an editor. Um, you know, I obviously don't speak Chinese, but I'm a very like left brain, right brain kind of person. I feel like the story transcends language and I, I would love to, you know, be considered. And, um, you know, I, called with him and we realized we had the same, we loved the same movies. We loved, we had so much in common, but, uh, we then realized we were basically neighbors. He lives down the street from my (laughs) house in New Orleans. So I was like, okay, this is, (laughs) this is meant to be. Um, and so he actually, he flew to LA to edit with me in person. Um, and, yeah, I also, you know, at this time, like, want to shout out his abilities because he cut the entire thing without subtitles. He, wow. um, yeah, he had all the footage in Chinese and he somehow figured it out. He um, was using, like, voice-to-text translate. And when he screened the first cut for me, he was like, you know, some stuff might be totally out of place. <laughs> I didn't know what anyone was saying. And there was not one clip that was wrong. Wow. Uh, and then we – put subtitles like at the very last moment um that is but yes that is so <laughs> the, inspiring um, yeah just he's so incredible it's cool how visual the storytelling was like to me the fact that the editor was able to just cut it and didn't even really know what they were saying right it's like that show don't tell right like obviously you were doing that as a filmmaker you're already doing that where the editor already can tell what's going on in the story and tell from the emotions and the pacing yeah, he um, says it wasn't – he was telling me it wasn't that different from him editing something that was very VFX heavy. Mm. Um, it's like normally when 
there's a lot of VFX plates. I'll uh, turn the audio off anyways and just focus mm-hmm. on the visuals. And um, yeah, workflow-wise, it was a lot of discovery because I think the film turned out very different from what we thought it would be. I thought it would be very Always. straightforward. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is a script. We're just going to follow it. We'll be like in and out, you know, really quickly. <laughs> um, and a big pivotal part was like the comedy. You know, mm. we were like, uh, some early feedback we got was um, a common one was someone saying, I didn't know if I had the permission to laugh mm. at this moment. Like it was supposed, I always thought, oh, this is a, like comedic scene, you know, the the part where uh, old Lee, the father, is shooting water guns at the kid. I always thought, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is funny. This is absurd. But people were like, all right, I didn't know if I, like, are you trying to be funny? Is this supposed to yeah. be a serious scene? So that's when like the, you know, playing around with the kind of cutting kind of came in. Because um, yeah. I think I had seen, uh, I watched Don't Look Up um, mm-hmm. and Adam McKay, you know, has such great comedic timing. And they were doing yeah. a lot of cuts where they cut out of the joke before the joke finishes and totally. I thought that Very was hilarious cool. <laughs> yeah so we went back we, we, it was kind of like problem solving we we're like okay this scene you know how can we punch up the comedy and then I was like let's just try hard cutting out yes. of it oh my god that's yeah. a way way more fun and exciting answer than I even could have expected I love that <laughs> that's so cool um yeah, definitely. I, it's so cool how the process, you know, you can never know what you're going to get. You kind of just get in the editing room and you're like, okay, now we have to work with what we got. Now we're really doing the sculpting and, and creating something. Um, also, I think it's, I want to touch on what you said about not knowing when people, people not knowing when they should laugh. And I think that like, I think the whole film has that really has this kind of bittersweet um feeling around throughout it where there's like this such this like happiness like even when they're connecting and um just their connection has such a bittersweet feel to it where there's like this very long I like how the beginning starts with kind of okay actually I'm gonna segue into a different question that's related to this so with the Mm -hmm. beginning part what who was the kid in the beginning was the kid a different kid or was that him like kind of having a memory and then kind of we're playing with time. Is that what was happening mm-hmm. in the beginning? This has been such an ongoing conversation, especially <laughs> with my editor and I. Um, so I don't know if you know, but this started as a feature. I, there's a feature mm-hmm. screenplay that exists in the universe where it's, it's so different from the short. Um, it's it's more like absurd. It's it's about the premise is like feuding farming families, kind of like wow. Game of Thrones, uh, <laughs> who have to unite when like a land developer shows up and like uh, you know wants to take their land. Um, and part of the feud is one family is they're the chicken farmers, and one family are like our cabbage farmers. And the chicken farmers, because they're free range chickens, which means like your chickens have to roam around. The chickens are always going into the vegetable farmers like land and so um yeah it's like the the cabbage farmers will defend their turf with like diy water guns um yeah and the chicken farmers they have a son and the son is like a spy so the Mm. (laughs) it's it's very wacky and so that was my i put the little kid in there because i was like this is you know a a very small connection to the feature where it's the kid spy who sent to suss out if the plums are in season and he's going to report back to his family and you know be like no they're not ready yet but like soon um 
but as the short evolved, I realized it was becoming so, it, it was its own thing. It was, yeah. um, I, I told myself like, do not think about the feature. Like don't try to connect it to the feature because it's its own thing now. Um, so then the role of the kid kind of becomes whatever your own interpretation is. Cause definitely yeah. we tried things in the edit to try to intentionally tell the audience, show the audience, this is supposed to be, you know, uh, uh, the son as a kid, it's supposed to be something with time. And at the end of the day, we just, you know, kept it, uh, visually straightforward, but yeah. open to like, so open to whatever people resonate with. Yes. I think also that's interesting. Cause it, it's, it's that great filmmaker skill that we all read about of really giving your audience a question because like that definitely wasn't mm-hmm. it kind of pulled me in or immediately I'm wondering, I'm like, who was this little kid? He's gone now. And now like, was that a memory? Was it not like kind of, it kind of immediately sucked me in. So I think that the way you ended up cutting it was a great decision. And I think that it's also just, I love to know that it's actually the little spy kid though. I'm also glad to have that knowledge now. I want to kind of, I think this is what I want to end off on. This is like this film, obviously we talked about the bittersweet element Um, it has this really strong commentary on the old versus the new. And you kind of talked to us a little bit about, you know, what your grandfather went through. And I'm just curious, you know, what are some of your own thoughts on the strengths and weaknesses of the generation we are in, you know, like Mm -hmm. versus the traditional, like, what do you see as the consequences or, you know, what are some of the things that you, um, are going to miss the most or that you're just worried that you're worried we've lost. I'm just curious kind of like what your thoughts are within the commentary you have in the film um, about Mm -hmm. the old versus the new. Yeah, that's a wonderful question. Thank you. Um, Yeah. It's always been an ongoing question for me. Um, I knew from the bat, even when writing the feature, when making the short, I never wanted to take a stance on either Mm-hmm. side of the spectrum it's never been like you know what um the old way is wrong we need to get <laughs> with the times to survive yeah. and then it's also never been like you know what the the new way is or uh you know like I think neither side is uh completely the right way for me it's always been trying to find a middle ground um right I think in our, yeah. yeah in our current generation I think we move we place so much value on moving fast um, mm-hmm. in terms of like career. I think everyone wants to like speed track to like success mm-hmm. in terms of development. You know, we're always trying to come up with the newest thing and try to like, uh, you know, make things more efficient. And I think we're just moving at such a fast pace. So what I do miss and value about, you know, when I'm spending time with my grandfather in the Chinese countryside, things are so, they move so slowly and there's so much beauty in that. Um, people are just kind of living their life. They're, there's no rush to go anywhere. There's no rush to get to a certain place. Um, and you're really able to just, you know, soak in the moments of being with family, of being with your loved ones. So I really, I think, am, would be very, sad if we moved, you know, towards a place where we really lose that connection. Um, but I do think, I think, um, there has to be like a marriage of preserving tradition and also embracing change because it's true. Like it's the old way, especially in the countryside, it's not sustainable anymore. Um, my relatives, when they were farming, they weren't their quality of life was very poor and my cousins weren't able to go to school. And I don't think that 
that's not sustainable. Uh, but yeah. you know, now with the factory and everything, like my cousins were able to go to school and there's, you know, my, uh, grandpa installed an AC unit in his house, you know, stuff like that yeah. and got like a, got a smartphone. Um, and I love that for him. Um, so I think it's definitely like, how can we have both and, that's something I would just love to continue exploring because it's this ongoing yeah. question that I don't think has a solid answer, but you know, it's just a constant pursuit of trying to figure out the, you know, what the answer is. Yeah. Um, so I think it definitely has to be like a best of both worlds situation. Yeah. I think you did a good job in the film of, you know, not, not making, not trying to say one or the other was good and really just mm -hmm. focusing on the real relationship and, um, you know, obviously the traditional, the grandpa or yeah, the, or the dad, the dad in the, in the mm -hmm. film, it's now I'm getting the yeah. grandpa and the dad. In the, yeah. film. <laughs> um, the dad, obviously, you know, he has quite a bit of resistance to the, this new world. And I also thought it was really interesting and we'll do this kind of a last thing. And then I want to get into all of the excitement of what you have coming up next. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. It's like the son, you know, and like, exploring that character and he I just can't imagine how hard it must have been for him to show up there and I feel like the actor did a really good job of kind of like you know inching around it not really wanting to bring it up but then like like bringing that to the table like did you maybe put some of yourself in that or like kind of what was your process of writing about that character the son who comes and asks this of his dad Totally. Yeah, I fully like the son character was me. It was, you know, all of my struggles and my relationship with home and my parents. Um, I think especially as like, you know, the child of immigrants and first generation, um, I think I, I always grew up wanting to become more than my parents. It was a source of like pride and arrogance. And, you know, like my parents are, my dad is an ac academic, like the top in his field. And my mom is also very brilliant. Um, and she's an accountant. Both my parents are in STEM. So I always wow. grew up being like had that attitude. Like I want to become more than my parents. Like I don't want to just settle for, yeah. you know, whatever. And then it's like I hit like 18, 19, 20, and I'm still like, reeling over just the realization that I would not, I'm nowhere. I'm nothing without my parents' sacrifice. Yeah. Um, and even now, like I, you know, I'm in LA and life is busy and I, I have things going on and my parents are always like, they want to call every day and they're like, come home. When are you going to come home? And there's not much left for me in New Orleans. Yeah. Um, and I sometimes I have to catch myself and be like, no, there, it's not that there's nothing left for me in New Orleans. Like my home is there. My parents yeah. are there. Um, and yeah, I think something I told um, Jeff, who plays the son, and Richard, who plays the father, I told them separately. Um, I think a, a really good directing, a really good directing tip I got from uh, my director friend is to sometimes give your actors a secret yes. that is never said or shared. And so to Jeff, um, I gave him a little like backstory on his character. I said like before you made it big as this, you know, like real estate developer, there was a time in your early career where you failed and things weren't going great in the city and you swallowed your pride and you went back to the countryside, you wow. know, except you didn't make it through the front door uh, because you didn't want your dad to know that you hadn't succeeded. And so you left and he didn't even know that you came back. Oh, wow. And then to, yeah. And to Richard, you know, the secret I told him is, uh, a few years ago, you went on a bus and traveled half a day to go to the city to 
uh, visit your son and see what this whole like city life was. And you were all excited um, and you showed up at his office and you couldn't even get a meeting with him because he was too busy. Oh my God. And instead of, yeah, instead of like trying to talk to him, you just left because you realized he was too busy for you. And so both of you guys have had like these years of misunderstanding, thinking no one cared about the other, no one ever visited. But you know, at some point oh. in time, you guys did. <laughs> so I think they, they did a really good job with that. They really brought that to the screen, I feel. I think that that Mm -hmm. definitely was brought. I didn't really know what it was, but I I mean, I think just that, that little bit of hesitancy and that, you know, and that I feel like those stories kind of bring the exact point of this story, right? They're such great thematic backstories in the sense that like both of these people are trying to come halfway because they love Mm -hmm. each other. They're both trying to get on the same page because they love each other and they need each other. And um, yeah, I'm just, I'm so glad the film was in the festival. Um, And I want to just see now, like what's up next. You kind of talked a little about you, you finished school. You're going to, do you have another film that you're maybe writing or working on? And you know, what are some of your upcoming goals? Yeah, I am currently developing a second feature. And at the same time, I'm developing, I'm in prep right now for the short that's actually a proof of concept for it, um, which has been interesting, like developing a short and feature side by side, because they both like keep affecting each other. But I'm just always so fascinated with complex family dynamics. So Mm -hmm. this one is... um, kind of based on these true businesses that exist in Asia. They they originated in Japan, but it's the family rental company. Mm. Um, mental health isn't, uh, you know, mental health support isn't really uh, big in Asia. Uh, there's kind of this stigma of like not showing your feelings and not, you know, paying the therapist to listen to your problems. And so what people do instead is they rent a family member. Um, if you, you know, have lost uh, your wife, you know, you can rent a wife for a day and get her, customize her to like be exactly how your late wife was. And so like on the surface level, like it seems like a very wholesome thing, but, uh, I found out that there have been people who have been renting family members for years and decades. Um, there's a mother who, uh, like being a single parent in Asia is very tough. Your kids typically get bullied in school, um, uh, it's, a, it's a huge problem right now in Asia. And so this mom, uh, to give her kid a better life, has been renting a father for her. And the kid oh. is like 19 now and she thinks, still thinks her dad is her dad. Uh, he's just an actor. So yeah, this, this feature I'm writing is kind of based on that story. And wow. the short, yeah, the short is kind of like a, what would a commercial for this company look like? So it's Ooh. a hybrid, yeah, hybrid kind of like musical dance meets, you know, uh, narrative story about a father and daughter. And yeah, I'm excited. We're shooting uh, part of it with virtual production, which has been a huge learning curve, um, like learning how to block and direct in a virtual environment and yeah. creating the sets in like a game engine. So oh, it's going to be yeah. such a great learning process, though. That's such a cool tool. And that's super exciting. Um, I really want to keep up with you. And I'm sure anybody who listens to this is going to feel the same way. You had so many great tidbits. And this, I, I'm really excited to see what's next, including this really cool film about rented family members. Um, <laughs> what is your, like, where's the best place to see what you're going on? Like Twitter handle, Instagram handle, where's the best place to kind of keep up with you? 
Yeah, I love Instagram so much. I'm probably the most active on there. So mm-hmm. my Instagram handle is at it's Kelly U, and my Twitter is the same. And yeah, I also um, have stuff on my website, which is also www.itskellyu.com. So cool. And yeah, it's been so great to talk about all of this. Um, I am so excited. I kind of want to go back and watch the film again. Um, oh. I did get to watch it at opening night, and I, I really can't wait to hear what some audience members got to, you know, their thoughts about this film. I think it's very thought provoking. And um, yeah, thank you for the great conversation. It was great talking to you, Kelly. I can't wait to see what's next. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for listening. For more information on Nifty 2022 or upcoming events, the talented youth and more emerging filmmakers, check out nifty.org. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Nifty, N-F-F-T-Y, or on Instagram at Nifty Film. For more podcasts from Party Fish Media, search Party Fish Media wherever you listen to podcasts or follow us on social media at Party Fish Media. Party Fish Media acknowledges that it operates and records on indigenous Duwamish and Puget Sound Coast Salish land that is still home to the Duwamish tribe. This land is stolen in violation of the Point Elliott Treaty of 1855. We are committed to uplifting the name of these lands and community members from these nations who reside alongside us. For more information on this land, its people, or ways you can help, visit duwamishtribe.org or realrentduwamish.org.